0: What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra.
1: What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, the other half of the podcast. Kyle, the weekend finally arrived.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, chilling in the cut. Gotta be a nice weekend. Bro, we're just going to be chilling this weekend. Too bad there's no football this weekend. That's probably the most unfortunate thing that not happened this week, or to happen this weekend, but we still got some stuff to talk about. You got the Pro Bowl. Really? Really? Talk about that. <laughs> really? I did see that Micah Parsons uh he outraced Tyreek Hill in like a really like quick 40 yard dash, even though that Tyreek Hill barely even ran in it. He was just kind of like jogging. But you know, Micah Parsons did something that I guess some cowboy won something this year. So I'm I guess sure. that's something to look forward to. But now, you ready to dive into these topics? Yes, sir. All right. So, we've got a pretty, pretty quick agenda to go over. So, now that uh, Tom Brady has officially retired, really, the next question will be: Now that we have the newer generation of quarterbacks coming into the fold, Kevin and I are going to discuss whether or not that we could see someone like maybe like Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen try to, in some way, shape, or form rival what tom brady was able to accomplish throughout his entire career so that'll be the first segment that we go over after that we're going to transition into some pre-super bowl coverage um this will be kind of a jointed segment so we'll do one segment about this on this episode and then one more uh next week when we get into super bowl week Uh, we're going to go over reasons why we think the rams will win super bowl 56 and then Next week, we'll talk about the Bengals and reasons why they will win Super Bowl 56. After that, we'll kick it to some NBA topics. We'll go over John Morant, who's having a phenomenal MVP caliber season. Uh, We'll talk about whether or not that we could potentially see him as a future face of the NBA. Not like within like the next year or so, but like down the road, three, four, five years down the road. After that, we'll talk a little bit about the skid that the Brooklyn nets have been on. They have lost six straight games and we'll talk about whether or not we see them turning it around anytime soon. And then the last segment that we have for you guys is that pretty much we have all of the player pools uh, for the Eastern and the Western conference set up. And we'll talk about who we thought was the biggest snub from that player pool before LeBron and Kevin Durant picked the teams for the East and the Western conference. So that's what we have on the slate, you guys. Let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into this agenda, or dive into this episode, excuse me, and let's go over this first topic. With Tom Brady now out of football after he retired just a few days ago, it does really kind of leave a question of can we see some future quarterbacks or the quarterbacks that we have in the current fold right now be able to somewhat try to rival what Tom Brady was able to accomplish in his career. And we have a great crop of young quarterbacks that are really showing themselves as these are the guys that are going to lead the way in the future, as far as guys like Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. We got Joe Burrow, who's in a Super Bowl appearance in only his second year. And that's just within the AFC. And all of those guys in particular are within a year apart of each other, as far as age is concerned. And really, when you look at the quarterback position, now that the old guard has pretty much moved on, except for you could probably say Aaron Rodgers at this point, these young guns have something to prove, and they're gonna have they're gonna have the next couple years to showcase what they've got. And also throw in Justin Herbert in there. He's really somebody that has really kind of gotten off to a good start as well with the Chargers. So without further ado, Kevin, to kick this one to you. Now that Tom Brady has retired from the game of football, do you think there are any quarterbacks in this new generation that can rival what Tom Brady achieved in his career?
1: So, I mean, it's a a basic answer. And, I mean, I'm just going to come out and say it. The closest one that could possibly rival anything close to Tom Brady's, I guess, career-ending, like, resume would have to be Patrick Mahomes. Pat's already got an MVP. Pat's already got a Super Bowl. Pat's got a Super Bowl MVP. And the only reason I say it is because the other ones haven't been there yet. Joe just got there, so we don't know the results with that. Josh Allen has not been able to beat Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. Obviously, Justin Herbert hasn't made the playoffs yet. Lamar Jackson can't shake, well, not only injury this season, but he hasn't been able to perform in the postseason, let's just say. And then, you know, the other quarterbacks that are up and coming, Kyler Murray shit the bed. I mean, you name it, there's just so many other people that – I can't sit here and say, you know what, in five years, he could potentially be Brady. So again, as basic and generic as the answer of Patrick Mahomes is, it's really not much of a competition at this point in their careers. In the, I guess, like you said, the crop of quarterbacks, only one of them has shown really historic success. And of course, Patrick uh, wins the Super Bowl in his third year because his first year he sat behind Alex. The second year is when he won the MVP, and obviously the Chiefs lost to the Patriots in the AFC Championship. So, I mean, he's closest to following suit um, outside of, again, Joe Burrow, but Joe Burrow has yet to either win or lose a Super Bowl with that being two, two weeks out. So I hate to be basic, but Patrick Mahomes is the closest and only thing that we have right now to base anything off of. Arm talent, we all know he's probably better. Mobility, probably better. But in terms of actually winning and following the legacy that Tom has left behind, Pat Mahomes is the closest and only guy around, man.
0: Yeah, so the way that I see it, I pretty much agree with you 100% that it's probably only Patrick Mahomes. Now, granted, these young quarterbacks like Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, they've got a lot of time left in their respective careers. But when I look at Patrick, he's probably the best one that has somewhat of a chance to be able to rival Tom Brady. I'm not even talking about exceeding what Tom achieved in his career. I'm just talking about rivaling it. Because I mean, let's just get the generic stuff out of the way. Brady's got seven Super Bowl titles. I don't know if anybody's even get gonna get close to that mark. Because when you look at the entire landscape of NFL history, pretty much before Tom Brady, you know, getting four Super Bowl titles, that was uh, that was an amazing feat. That was rare air if you were able to get four. And Tom really shattered the mold in that regard by not only getting his fifth, but respectively, he got a sixth one and his seventh one at the end of his career. And then when you look at just the longevity and what he was able to establish as far as just consistency for over two decades... That is going to be really tough to top. Now, statistically, now that you have the added game compared to what Tom had, because Tom primarily played 16 games in a season up until his final season, statistically, maybe those records can be broken as far as passing yards go, maybe passing touchdowns as well. But that might be it. As far as overall impact, I don't think anybody is going to exceed what Tom did because no matter what he had around him or who he had around him, the success followed every step of the way. Early on in his career, won three Super Bowls in four years uh, to start off his career. And even despite the fact in the middle of his career, he didn't have any Super Bowl titles, he was still one of, if not the best quarterback in that time frame. And then as far as I'm concerned, he had the best finish that I've ever seen in an NFL player's career ever. And then when you look at just Patrick Mahomes at this current point in time, Patrick is 26 years old. And Patrick has gotten off to a really good start. The stats reflect that. He already has a Super Bowl ring, like you mentioned, has a Super Bowl MVP. Now, can he continue that type of success once he gets into his late 20s, early, and mid 30s? I think that there's definitely a chance that he can do that. It's just, to me, I don't know if anybody's going to reach the longevity aspect that Tom did. To play 22 seasons is amazing. We've never really seen any sort of NFL player be able to do that. Tom's really the only one. And despite the fact that I think Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, and Justin Herbert, like these are some really good up-and-coming quarterbacks. I don't know if any of them are going to make it that long. Talk about 22 years. You would have to basically devote half of your life to just stay in the NFL and then essentially dominate the entire time. Because even though, despite the fact that Tom lost three Super Bowls out of the 10 Super Bowl appearances, he essentially dominated the NFL during his time. He dominated the AFC East. It almost seemed like every other year, Brady was in the AFC championship game and pretty much one every two years, Brady was damn near in a Super Bowl. There was almost it was almost one fifth of all the Super Bowls that have been played, Tom Brady had been in one of them. Or been in one fifth of them. So that's what you're going up against if you're Patrick Mahomes. Because I really do think that Pat is the only one. And it's based off of the start that he could have, but it's gonna be a bumpy road for Patrick and the Chiefs as far as I'm concerned. Because once Patrick's um, salary cap hit starts really hitting the Chiefs uh payroll towards like his late 20s, it is gonna be really tough to bring in some top-tier talent for the Chiefs to try to be able to compete for Super Bowl titles. I think they have a good system in place there and hopefully they could be able to retain some of the key pieces like Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and maybe some of the role players that they have on the offense. But at best, I think Patrick rivals what Tom Brady did, but as far as exceeding what Tom did, I don't think so. I think Tom, at this current moment in time, he has set the bar so high. I don't think anybody's going to be able to reach it. I just think that it's not its not impossible. I just think that Tom has made it an insurmountable challenge that I don't think anybody's going to reach. And I hope it doesn't come to a point where we start looking at the quarterbacks who have pretty solid careers who win Super Bowls, and we kind of look at them as like a disappointment because we're almost judging them by that Brady standard that he left behind. It's just, that's who these guys are playing against as far as the standard goes. And I think pretty much all of them, maybe except for one or two, there may be guys down the road we don't even know yet who could possibly rival what Tom Brady did. But I think at this point, it's going to be a challenge and it's going to be really difficult to see if anybody can even come close to what he was able to do as far as Brady did throughout his career.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely a long road ahead of any quarterback looking to get any, you know, in
0: that realm or
1: kind of in that discussion, but Hey, we're, we're only going to have to see, I mean, for God's sakes, you know, Brady was a six round pick and ended up being the greatest quarterback of all time. So there could be somebody out there that ends up coming out of left field that ends up taking the reins and, Becomes this generation's Brady, so we'll see what happens. But definitely, plenty of information and uh, the, excuse me, plenty of time. And then there's going to be more information as time progresses. So, without further ado, I definitely know that we got another segment here in the NFL. As unfortunately, it does dwindle down because it's just that time of the year.
0: Yeah, I mean, we could have talked about the Pro Bowl, but we no. I, we both believed that it, that was probably going to be a waste of time anyway. So we didn't want to bore you guys to death with that but we do have super bowl 56 upcoming next week it's only it's a week and a half away so it's definitely going to be exciting when that game comes around next sunday and before we really dive into like our predictions for what the game's going to be we're going to do kind of like some pre-super bowl coverage as far as covering both teams and what we're going to start with is basically we're going to explain a couple of reasons why we think each respective team will have a shot to win Super Bowl 56 next week. And for this segment, we're going to focus on the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams had a pretty difficult challenge coming into this season because really the bar was set extremely high for them once they were able to acquire Matt Stafford from Detroit. And then you combine... It all with the pieces that they had in place with Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey. They acquired Vaughn Miller in the middle of the season. So, too, they added Odell Beckham Jr., and it has played out very well for them as they've advanced all the way to the Super Bowl where they will be hosting it in SoFi Stadium next week. So, Kevin, to kick the question to you, with Super Bowl 56 upcoming next week, what are some reasons why the Los Angeles Rams will win a Lombardi trophy next week?
1: But once again, I'm just going to go out here and state the obvious. One man is going to be the make or break for this team, and that's going to be Aaron Donald. With the struggle of the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line and Aaron Donald being the presence that he is, it is going to be difficult to keep Joe Burrow upright. So their pass rush is going to define the success of this team. Matthew Stafford has been playing relatively well this postseason. Odell Beckham has finally gotten into a rhythm. The, the 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 Rams run game has been quite consistent between Cam Akers as well as um Sony Michelle. So when you really look at it, if I'm specifically if I'm specifically looking at it from an outside perspective, it's gonna just be the Rams defense. We know that offensively these two teams are very similar, but the very big outlier here is going to be one team's defense is better than the others. One has, like you said, Vaughn Miller, Jalen Ramsey, obviously Aaron Donald, and a litany of other players that have come out this year and shown that they can produce effectively. They even went out and picked up Eric Weddle out of retirement so they can have some safety safety depth. So when you really look at it, the Rams' defense is solely the reason they need to win the Super Bowl because if Joe Burrow can't stay upright, there's going to be no points on the board. And if Cincinnati's defense is an inkling off of what it was last week against the Chiefs, Matthew Stafford's going to have himself a game just because Joe's not going to have time to put points on the board, and over time, we all know how that works. your offensive line is weakened, and then your defense is tired out because they're just consistently on the field. So genuinely, if I had to make an early why they're going to win, the Rams are going to win because Aaron Donald and Vaughn Miller are going to get to the quarterback, and Joe Burrow' is going to be on the ground.
0: Yeah, this is kind of an interesting one for me because. The Rams were kind of this, I don't want to say underdog team, but I think people were a little bit disappointed that they finished as the fourth seed in the NFC. And yet, despite that, they were able to get some solid wins throughout their playoff run and end up in the situation where they're playing a home game in SoFi Stadium. So pretty much, I have it listed to two reasons why. The first one being is Matt Stafford needs to play phenomenal. And that goes without saying, because... The bar was set extremely high for the Rams once Matt Stafford was traded from the Rams to, excuse me, from the Lions to the Rams. So once that once that trade was made, pretty much this team was looked at as a Super Bowl contending team, and despite all of the season expectations that were placed upon the Rams, they were able to basically meet those expectations, and they're ending up in the situation that I think some people expected earlier on in the season. And when I've seen Matt Stafford go on this playoff run that he's currently been on, he's been phenomenal. He was great against the Cardinals in the um, NFC wildcard game. He had an amazing game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the road in the divisional round. And even though that he got off to a slow start in that championship game against the 49ers, he was able to lead that team back from a 17-7 to 7 fourth quarter deficit. And they were able to get 13 unanswered points in the fourth quarter to get the net win to host a Super Bowl. So Matt can't turn the ball over. I expect that Matt Stafford is really going to focus on getting Cooper Cup his targets. I wouldn't be surprised if Odell gets in the mix as well. And as long as Matt doesn't turn the ball over, I think they have a great shot to put some points up on the board against that Cincinnati Bengals defense. Now, the second reason is what Kevin mentioned, and that is the pass rush. Because the one thing that's been consistent for the most part in this playoff run is that Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, these boys have been getting after it with the pass rush. It really manifested itself in the first two games in the playoffs, specifically against the Cardinals and the Bucks, Because when you look at that, like Bucks games, for example, They were able to get relentless pressure against Tom, and it made Tom uncomfortable because Tampa only scored three points in that first half, and that's a huge credit to the defense. Granted, they did give up 24 points in the second half, but even despite that, they were able to get constant pressure against Brady, so it was not an easy battle for Brady to get those 24 points in the second half for the Buccaneers. And even though that I wouldn't say that their pass rush really got home against the 49ers in the one drive where the 49ers need either a field goal to tie it or a touchdown to win it. Guess who shows up? Aaron Donald gets pressure on Jimmy G. Jimmy G throws the ball away. It's an interception and the Rams are going to the Super Bowl. So when I look at the Rams here, they're going to need some consistent pass rushes from both Aaron Donald, Von Miller, and you could also throw in Leonard Floyd as well. Now I'm not going to say like each guy's going to get like two, two and a half sacks, but if they're able to get maybe two, two and a half sacks from those top pass rushers, I think it's definitely going to make uh life more difficult for the Bengals. And we've seen the Bengals have a pretty shaky offensive line where they gave up nine sacks against the Tennessee Titans in the divisional round. So you tie those factors together. I think those are some reasons why. Uh, the Rams will host the Lombardi Trophy when all is said and done after Super Bowl Fifty Six is played. But you know the Rams are a good team; they're here for a reason. If they're able to do basically what we outlined, that uh, they have a very good shot to win Super Bowl Fifty Six, and that's just how I see it. It's going
1: to be a good game, and obviously, when we make our you know why Cincinnati is going to win, we're just going to dissect exactly this, pretty much opposite of what we're saying right now. So. Take everything we're saying with a grain of salt. This is what we're saying. We're not predicting the Rams to win. We're literally giving reasons why they're going to win or why they should win. So, um, you know, overall, like I said, take this however you will. And, you know, I know that we are pretty much, like I said just a few minutes ago, pretty much done with NFL content outside of maybe, you know, again, from our predictions and then the Rams – excuse me, the Bengals conversation that we're going to have next week. Uh, it, it breaks my it, heart,
0: it, Kyle. It's, it, hurts. It, it It's ramping down, bro. And I think it kind of goes without saying. I think for us, just like as a podcast, for you and me both, I think it's without a doubt that the NFL and just football in general, there's nothing that really kind of gets us going more than that topic. Granted, we both love the NBA just because, I mean, the amount of content that you could cover in the NBA, I mean, it's limitless. But to me, there's just something about football where it's just, it just is different. I don't know what it is, but there's just, there's a more immediate draw for me to football than there is to basketball and basketball's, you know, in second place. But I think it's just because, you know, you see the teams play once a week. And then, you know, if your team is lucky enough to get all the way to the Super Bowl, I mean, it's 20 games. So every game matters, and I think that's—I think that, that that's a part of it. It's because every game essentially holds significance. In it's also, the
1: anticipation too. You know, you're yeah, waiting the, all the, week.
0: The lead up to it. In basketball, I mean, there, there's games every day. You know, there's 82 games in a season. And not saying that you know each game isn't important, but it doesn't the hold same, the same weight. It doesn't hold the same weight exactly. It's just. But when it does come to playoff time, you know that's where you really see the NBA, as far as I'm concerned, where it gets super exciting. But it's the same thing with football. I mean, this is like the best time uh, to cover the football is during the playoffs. I mean, we got Super Bowl 56. We got a great matchup with the Rams and the Bengals, and I think I could pretty, I could say with a lot of certainty that I think you and I are pretty much saying that this is going to be a great Super Bowl ahead of us next week.
1: God willing, man. The last Super Bowl I thought was gonna be really, really good was that Broncos Seahawks because I was like, best defense, best offense, and that was an absolute shit show, especially because I was pulling for Peyton. I mean it is what it is, but you know I'm I'm praying to God. Like, please let this be competitive. If it's just a shootout or a defensive battle to where it's entertaining, not like the Rams Patriots, where it was like Incompletion, turnover on downs, turnover as a or whole. Like, punt. I, 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 or punt, yeah, just punting. I need I need fun football to watch because I like defensive games. But even I can detone that Rams-Patriots one was just such a bore and snooze fest that I really, really need this Super Bowl to really, like, give me something good, man.
0: Well, I mean, like, last year, you know, you had the Chiefs going up against the Bucks. I mean, that was the featured matchup that I think everybody wanted to see. You got Tom Brady going up against Patrick Mahomes. You know, you got—I mean, at the time, it was the goat going up against the baby goat. That's what basically people were calling Patrick. That's Mahomes what the narrative the was, yeah. And then the Bucks beat the brakes off the Chiefs. I mean, I don't think really anybody expected that result just based off of the matchup before the game took place. I'm just happy my guy won. I'm happy that Tom got the dub. Yeah. But but I, I think I think some people may have been disappointed about how that game played out simply just because it was a blowout. I mean, it was 31-9. to nine. Patrick Mahomes was running around pretty much the entire game, not trying to get sacked. And it just wasn't the result I think people were expecting as far as just seeing an exciting, competitive game because really by the end, it wasn't. It was a blowout. I think a lot of people wanted to shoot at, and it wasn't even close to what they got. But with this one, it's like we said a couple of days ago. We see this as a very evenly matched Super Bowl where both teams can be able to put up points. Both defenses have been able to show up at the time that they're needed. Overall, I, I think it's going to be a fantastic Super Bowl. And Fingers I, crossed, man. Yeah, and, you know. We'll talk about Joe Burrow. We'll talk about uh, Cincinnati next week, but that'll be a fun topic when we reach it. But uh, with that said, we are going to transition into some NBA topics. And really the first one that we're going to hit is John Morant. John Morant of the Memphis Grizzlies is having a phenomenal third year in his NBA career. He has really taken his game to the next level and has put Memphis in a very advantageous situation as far as their playoff seeding goes. And they could be looking to make some moves when playoff time comes around and possibly upset the balance of power in the Western conference when that time does eventually arrive. So without further ado, Kevin, to kick the question to you with John Morant having what is essentially an MVP caliber season. Do you think that he can elevate the point guard position to a new height in the future?
1: So I'm I'm, going to, I'm going to take this in a different spin. The answer to your question is yes. However, Everybody on earth already knows the ungodly comparison that he has gotten because of his athleticism to Derrick Rose. He's jumping out the gym. He's making the 360 layups. He's trying to consistently put people on posters. Everyone is saying it's a matter of time before he gets hurt. Now, Kyle and I were actually talking about this right before we recorded. He is like Derrick Rose in terms of how he plays with, with attacking the basket and the, the versatility of being able to go up and then finesse at the rim. However, Derek wasn't able to change his game until it was too late. We've seen Jaw change his game in his third year. So from last year and his first year to this year, his points per game have gone up. His rating, his, his efficiency, excuse me, his offensive efficiency rating has gone up. He's averaging more assists, excuse me, more rebounds per game. His three point percentage has gone up. His field goal percentage has gone up. His assist are down statistically by a little bit, but I feel like since he's had so many triple doubles this year, more than he's had in the past, I feel like he's actually coming into the role of a point guard. So, John Morant is what I would like to call kind of like a hybrid guard, a hybrid point guard because he can dish it, he can attack. And his shot is getting better. Is it the greatest thing in the world? Anything like Steph Curry? Not a chance. But when you can get to the basket at will, just like Jaw can, and when you start to develop, instead of coming off the pick and def- and trying to split the double or coming around the pick and trying to attack the basket on a mismatch, a little step back game here and there, a little mini pop, a little corner three, you know what I mean? Like Jaw is trying to expand his offensive game to a point where you can say, you know what? This guy's going to be different. This guy can change the league. I know what you're thinking. Russell Westbrook does that now. Russell Westbrook's a stat pattern, triple-double machine. The man still can't shoot. We're talking about 12 years in the league. He's still shooting shots off the top of the backboard. You have to remember, Ja's 22 years old. Ja has increased his points per game from last year to this year by seven whole points. And the Memphis Grizzlies are a top-four seed in the Western Conference. Russell Westbrook started his career with freaking Kevin Durant. He started his career with Serge Ibaka. With James Harden, then he goes into a whole nother game where he actually acquires, you know, Paul George, and then he goes into to Houston and he ends up playing with James Harden. John Morant is sitting in in, in Memphis, looking at all right. Well, you know, I have, oh, well, I have I have Bain here, or you know, I have I have Jaron Jackson Jr. And they're nowhere near the caliber of players that Russell has had alongside him. So that's why I discredit that because yes, he's athletic like him and Derek. But in terms of him being a generational point guard, I see the potential. He's still got to get better and develop that jump shot. He still has to be more consistent in his decision-making because he's still averaging almost four turnovers a game. So once you kind of cut those things down and you kind of lock it down on the defensive side of the ball, there's no reason why John Morant can't be catapulted into a top-five category for point guards in the NBA.
0: Yeah, and the way that I see it with John Morant, despite the fact that he is 22 years old, still has a long time to go in his respective NBA career, I could see him as a future face of the NBA within the next four to five years if he continues this trajectory. Now, the one thing about point guards, especially ones that are getting off to a very good start, like what you mentioned with Derrick Rose, the hype that was behind Derrick Rose when he was with the Bulls, it was phenomenal. I mean, he single-handedly took away an MVP from LeBron James when LeBron was on the Heat in the early 2010s. There was a lot of hype around Derek, And then Derek had the knee injuries. He was never the same. He could never recapture that level of play that he had before the injuries. And really the one thing about John Morant that I have to keep in mind as he continues throughout his NBA career is that the style that he plays at, there's definitely a higher chance of him suffering some sort of significant knee injury. Because the way that he cuts, the way that he drives to the basket, I mean, there's a lot of stress that will build up in those knees over time. And all it takes is one bad cut, and you could be out for a season. So I think what you'll see from John Moran as time goes on is you're going to see refinements in his game. I think he's going to be somebody that will slow down his pace a little bit as far as what it is right now, because I mean, for God's sakes, he tried to go at Mitchell Robinson against the Knicks the other day. I swear to God, he was like this close to baptizing him. There's been a couple people that he's been really close to baptizing him. And I think that's just him. Pure raw athleticism. And I think for us as NBA fans, we all love to see that as far as these huge playmaking abilities that he's certainly capable of. But as time goes on, I think he'll become a better shooter. I think he'll slow his pace down. And I do think that he is going to put a bigger emphasis on being able to facilitate the ball. And, you know, despite the fact that, you know, he is turning the ball over a little yeah. bit more this season, he's still averaging around four turnovers, like you said, that just comes with being a point guard. And I think just over time, he'll know the ins and outs and he'll know like the little nuances that go along with playing the point guard position just trying to make smarter overall passes or overall plays. So I think, you know, by the time he reaches his mid-20s, I I think he's going to be setting himself apart as arguably the best point guard that the league has to offer. That's, you know, if Steph takes a step back, because, I mean, Steph will get into his late 30s at that point, and it does leave some room for some of the younger guys to really showcase what they got. And I think Jaw is going to be right at the forefront of that by the time he hits 25, 26 years old. I really do think that the sky is the limit for John Morant. And I know that Memphis may not be the most marketable um, place to play for, but he is putting Memphis on his back. He's putting Memphis on the map. I think he's doing a great job. And really the main thing right now is just stay consistent. And barring any sort of injury, significant ones, hopefully you never get to see. I think he's got all the capabilities of being possibly the future face of the NBA once we get into the prime of his career. I really do think it's that good for Ja if he places his cards right. And that's just how I see it.
1: Dude, you know what's crazy? So while you were making your point, I actually went and looked up Derrick Rose's MVP statistics in 2010, right? 2010, 2011, that's the year he won it. He averaged 25 points a game, four rebounds, seven assists, 33% from the three-point line, and I believe 44 to 45% from the field. Mm-hmm. John Moran has eclipsed all of those numbers aside from assists. John Moran's averaging 6.9 right now. And Derek Rose ended with 7.4. Derek Rose had a little bit of a higher steal percentage, a little bit of a higher block percentage, but Derek Rose averaged more turnovers. So you're really looking at it and saying plus minus where, right? So we're halfway through this year. The year's nowhere near over. Jocket had ended up taking a whole horrible second half. But if it were to end right now, John's having a better, se- a better season this year than Derrick Rose's MVP year. So take that for what you will. Just thought I'd throw that out there because everyone likes to make comparisons and we love getting people in the comments. Oh, the PER or the defensive efficiency rating of this person of this year, and the, the Bulls were in a whole different place. It makes no difference. We're just looking at the hard flat line of what it is that John Moran has right now compared to Derrick Rose back then because we continue to make the comparisons of the two players. That is it. John Morant is having a great year. He's coming out. Him and Luka are showing out that those two in that draft class have taken a whole different level of where they're going to be because obviously we know it was DeAndre Ayton who's playing good, but he's not playing to this level. Then it was Ja. Then it was Bagley who, again, is not playing good. And then you have Trey Young and Luka Doncic. So you can see that this team as a whole – is the draft class this class class as a whole is probably one of the best draft classes we've had in some time.
0: Well it's just the playmaking capabilities that all these guys possess. And I will say this and I hate going down this route but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. Just with the way that the game is played as far as just the three point capabilities being you know blown out the door because of Steph. You know, these guys are going to take a lot more shots behind the three-point line. And with the way that the games are being officiated, it it doesn't take much to get a foul call and get to the free-throw line. I mean, Kevin, do you remember when we were talking about this uh, during the summer last year? The way that the NBA officiates games compared to FIBA, like during the Olympics, it's not the same. Uh, They they don't call the fouls uh, in FIBA like they did in the NBA. I just and made
1: a I- mistake. John Morant is from the year after Luka Doncic. Two different classes, ladies and gentlemen. I apologize completely. That was so incorrect and invalid. I thought I had it. Luka's from 2018 in that class with Aiton and Bagley. And then John Morant is from the class right after that. With uh, Zion and
0: everybody else, bro, bro, you could just lump them all together in like this new generation that's coming up. You could just kind of say it like, yeah. Like, but
1: I made the comment about the draft class, so I'm just you know correcting what I said. That
0: was that was completely false. I apologize. No, you're good. It's just you know by and large, it's just with with this not draft class. this, this really this generation of talent that's coming into the fold, making a name for themselves. I think the opportunities are there for them. It's just a lot of the I don't know if all of these guys are going to have like the pure skill to be able to just consistently drop buckets left and right. Or they kind of take like the James Harden route where he's always trying to look to get to the foul line and be able to make an impact from there. I'm not saying that it isn't effective. It's just kind of a cheaper way of being able to get on the scoreboard, if you know what I mean. Because yeah. I mean, I mean, James Harden was really kind of—he was a significant portion. Like you drive to the basket, he would just hook the defender underneath and then just get to the free throw line. I mean, it's effective, but it's—it's just—I don't know. I I kind of find Not it cheap the way that basketball. Do. Yeah, and, and the one thing that that I've hated from guys like Luca and Trey Young is like they'll pump fake a three, the defender jumps, and then they literally just jump straight into the defender, like to get to the free throw line. It's just. I hope that doesn't continue because to me, it's just a cheap way of producing, but you know, these guys still have a long time left in their career and we're going to see refinements in their games as they go along in their respective careers. So I think the future is bright. I think jaw really kind of leading the pack uh, this year specifically. And um, I don't really expect anything different. I think these guys are going to continue to grow um, as the years go on. It's just really, you just hope that these guys don't really suffer any sort of like catastrophic injuries along the way. It's it's it. Just barring injuries. I mean, these guys can ball at a great level and you know, the future of the NBA is bright. There's no doubt about it.
1: Oh yeah. And you know, with it being bright, there are some dim places with there being highs. (laughs) There are some lows and that is going to be a perfect way to segue into our next
0: topic. Yeah. And that, (sighs) That dark spot right now, or the 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 gloomy spot, you could call it that too. Um, that would be the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets have not been playing that well recently. They have currently lost six straight games, their last one being to the Sacramento Kings, which a team that I've constantly referred to as a team that is basically like a black hole because Sacramento is largely irrelevant. But losing to the Kings is not that good of a look. And granted, you know, Kevin Durant's been out with injury the last week, week and a half or so, so that you could use that as an excuse, but Kyrie Irving and James Harden have still been on the court despite this six game losing streak. And really the question is whether or not they can turn it around. So Kevin, to kick this one to you with the Nets losing the last six games in a row, do you see them turning it around anytime soon in the foreseeable future?
1: Well, I mean, it all depends on the significance of Kevin's injury. I don't recall, but I know he's out for an extended period of time. Can you just remind me as to what that injury is again?
0: Oh, I have no idea off the top of my head.
1: I could have swore it was something that was keeping him off the court for an extended period of time. But nevertheless, if Kevin is able to come back relatively quickly, again, we're at the All-Star break, so not too much to worry. They have an entire half of the year to bring it back. Um, If, in fact, Kevin Durant's injury lasts longer or if they can't get these woes together – um, I think that this could end up being the I think the tail end of a failed experiment, to be honest with you. I mean, Kyle and I were joking about it earlier. This is not the first trio that has absolutely failed or the first big acquisition that the Nets have made since becoming the Brooklyn Nets. And if you guys don't know what I'm alluding to, that was the acquisition of Kevin Garnett. Um, Obviously, uh, Paul Pierce, Joe Johnson, Brooke Lopez, that big team that was uh, assimilated uh, later at the tail end of a lot of those players' careers. But what I'm getting at is the Nets' big three was such a highly anticipated, such a a sought-out big group that was just, oh, my God, this, this three has to win a championship. This might be the greatest big three ever assimilated in NBA history. And it's been crap. Granted, last year's playoff run ended because James was hurt and Kyrie Irving was hurt. But, you know, we're looking at this as a whole. And unfortunately, within this two years since they've acquired James Harden, it's been a wash. Kevin Garnett, excuse me, Kevin Durant has been playing stellar since he got there. When Kyrie's on the court, he plays phenomenal. But with the COVID issue of him not being vaccinated, he hasn't been able to play. With Kevin Durant and James Harden going through injury bugs lately in the last two years, they haven't been able to get into a rhythm in terms of all three of them on the court together. Right now, James Harden's in the media once again for wanting to leave Brooklyn and potentially go to Philly in the offseason. As they're saying that James Harden is looking to – or James Harden's not happy in his living situation in Brooklyn. James Harden is not happy with his teammate and Kyrie Irving for the difficulties he's providing the organization with. The point of the matter is you had three big egos on one team. They weren't able to get together. They weren't able to mesh. Point blank period, that is a failure to me, and that always will, unless they turn around and win a championship this year. But right now, the way that this team is playing, they're going to make the playoffs because they still have uh, star-studded talent. And they have tiers above other teams in terms of the actual talent that they do have. The three of those players are just mountains above a lot of the other players that have, like, cohesive teams. So we all know Kevin Durant, Kyrie, and James can get you 90 to 100 points alone without some of the players that they've acquired in the offseason of this past year. But – as a unit, I don't see Brooklyn as maybe a second-round exit, maybe a maybe a, a, you know an Eastern Conference championship exit just because they can't get on the same page. I mean, Kyrie can't play at home. So you're just going to rely on James and, obviously, uh, Kevin Durant. James Harden's numbers are down this year significantly in almost every category, 22 points per game, 41% from the field, 33% from the three-point line. He's down in rebounds by about a half a rebound or so. Even in some assists, and then in turnovers, he's up. What are we looking at here? Someone that's not happy or someone that's underperforming and wants to get the hell out because the ship is sinking. I don't know. The Nets aren't looking like they were last year at this point, and I have no idea if they're going to be able to turn this around in time.
0: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really look good for the Nets as far as their foreseeable future goes because Kevin Durant's still going to be out for the next couple of weeks or so, as he recovers from this knee injury that he sustained, I knew it was a long term injury. Yeah, I mean, not like long term as far as like he's out for the rest of the season, but no, you know, he's he's going to miss some time. But as far as this experiment goes, that the Nets have assembled with Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving, I think by and large it's been a failure because pretty much the expectations for the Brooklyn Nets was it's either a championship. Or it's bust. You know, when you bring these top-tier players into the fold, the expectation is not only is this team going to be at the top of their game throughout the entire regular season, but this team is going to be in it to win NBA Finals. And up until this point, granted they've only had it for basically a year and a half at this point, they haven't gone far with it. They got bounced out of the playoffs in the second round against the Milwaukee Bucks last year. And with the way that they've been playing the last week or so, they've looked atrocious. Sixth in the Eastern Conference, and they could potentially slide even farther down uh, until Kevin Durant comes back. And really the one thing that has really kind of been a f- sticking point with the reason why the-, the Nets have been losing games is they just can't play defense. When you look at the six-game losing streak in particular, this is... they've lost to so they've lost to the Timberwolves they gave up 136 points on the road after that they played the Lakers they gave up 105 they played the Nuggets they gave up 124 they played the Warriors gave up 110 they played against the Suns they gave up 121 and in the last game that they lost which was against the Sacramento Kings which is just abysmally bad they gave up 112 points this team can't play defense whatsoever and I think everybody kind of knew that was going to be the expectation for that team because everybody was expecting that Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, they're just going to be able to outscore everybody and put up damn near 100 points as a collective trio moving forward. And then you get some chipping points from some role players like Patty Mills, uh, Joe Harris, and maybe guys like Nicholas Claxton and Blake Griffin. But, you know, when you look at the situation this year, James has been really a constant controversy as far as the comments that he's made uh, throughout the season. Kyrie with his whole COVID stance, you know, granted, you know, Kyrie felt very strongly about that COVID position, but when you're missing half of the games because you're not able to play at home, it's going to leave a negative impact on the team, even though that he's been having some pretty solid performances when he's played at road venues. And then Kevin Durant, You know, Kevin Durant's one of the best players in the NBA, but he just can't stay healthy. And one of the best abilities is being able to play. And granted, you know, it sucks that, you know, you get injuries here and there, but, you know, not having Kevin Durant in the fold, it really sets this team behind. And until they get him back, this team is going to struggle. I think overall, I think this experiment is going to come to, Essentially a crash landing because I think James Harden is going to leave Brooklyn after this season. And really, when you look at it, what do you have to show for it? A second round playoff exit, potentially another one this season, depending on how it goes. Once the Nets get into playoffs, because they will get into the playoffs. It's just, I don't think they have the squad to be able to do it. And that's despite the fact that you get, they got three top tier players. It's just, I don't see the consistency from this team. And that was when they were all together. And I think moving forward, I think it's going to be a pretty quick exit for Brooklyn. And it's unfortunate because I think Brooklyn, the way that that team was assembled, a lot of teams or a lot of people were excited about what they could bring. But I think it's going to end in just abject failure. That's just how I see it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate because as a basketball fan, I will be objective. The big three of having that potential offensive output would have been incredible to watch had they actually played a significant of games together. Last year, between injuries and a couple of other things, they weren't able to be on the floor together for a whole bunch of the season, for the majority of the season, actually. Um, And then you go into this year, Kyrie's COVID stance, KD and Harden having injuries on both sides. So you know what I'm getting at? Like, I feel like this is an experiment that failed, but not because they didn't try or not because they didn't have the opportunity. This is a failed experiment because they just couldn't get the three of them on the floor together. Now, when they are on the floor together, they still aren't playing up to par. And then there are games when they're just like unstoppable. But you can't bank on three players giving you, like Kyle said, 100 points. You're going to literally sit there and ask them to take every single shot. What about other people? What about other people? What if someone's in a slump? You're going to just keep giving them the ball. So the point of the matter is, Brooklyn is no stranger to making moves like this, and you know it is what it is, and it's a shame that it's uh, unfortunately going to fail from what it looks like.
0: I mean this would, this would have good intentions though, because you know going into uh, last season, I mean Kyrie Irving is essentially in the prime of his career. James Harden is also in the prime of his career. And I would still argue that Kevin Durant is playing at like a top two, top three player in the NBA. I mean, the pieces were there. All they had to do was be able to mesh. But when you tie in all the external factors that can derail a season, injuries being one of them, drama this year has been a big one. James really just doesn't know how to get himself out of the controversy in any way, shape, or form this year that's despite the fact that he's committed to the rest of the season for the Nets. It's just, it just doesn't seem like it's working out for Brooklyn in the long run. I think, you know, I, I, there was a lot of hype around this trio getting formed, but I just think when you look at this roster outside of those three guys, it really takes a steep decline after Patty Mills, Joe Harris, and maybe Nicholas Claxton, because, Overall, even though they have some notable players like Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge, those guys are getting towards the tail end of their careers. They're nowhere what they used to be um, earlier in their respective careers. It's just, it's kind of set up for, I wouldn't say disaster. I think it's just set up for failure. And that's kind of where I think Brooklyn is at. Now, when you go back to what they did with Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and I believe Darren Williams was also on that team as well when they formed that kind of like older super group uh, when Brooklyn officially became the Brooklyn Nets. It ended in a disaster too. Well, not disaster. I would say failure. I mean, I think they made it to the playoffs once. and I think that was it. But, you know, those guys, those guys were at the end of their careers. I wouldn't say that Kevin Durant's at, his, at the end of his career yet. I wouldn't say that Kyrie no, and all. James or at at the end of their careers yet. So granted, the results could be very similar, damn near identical. But how they actually got to it is a little bit different. And and just the making of the teams themselves. I think Brooklyn had their mind in the right place. It's just they weren't able to make it work in the long run. And you know what? It happens. you To be able to get a championship caliber team together and actually play to that type of level, Very difficult to be able to do. And uh, more reasons than that, you're probably going to end up short than actually being able to attain the ultimate goal, which is winning a championship. And I think for Brooklyn, it's worked against them. And I just, I don't really see how this team's going to be able to make it work moving forward. As far as winning a title goes, it's going to be really difficult for me to see that happening. It's gonna be
1: uh it's gonna be interesting. The NBA playoffs are gonna be interesting, a lot of good teams, a lot of different players in different places. Uh, but of course we're just trying to come here and make sure that we're giving you guys the most objective opinions that we possibly can. And you know, with, with that being said, we're gonna try to be objective here. Um yeah, this go this, this this one will be tough. The NBA All-Star Reserves have been announced and there are some players that could potentially be questionable of actually pulling up a lot of their stats, while you were making your point. It's a little bit closer than we thought, actually, for the person that we're actually going to talk about. So the reserves are as follows, because it's not separated by Eastern and Western Conference anymore. It's by vote getter or whatever the hell. Devin Booker, Jimmy Butler, Luka Doncic, Darius Garland, Rudy Gobert, Draymond Green, James Harden, Zach Levine. Chris Middleton, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Paul, Jason Tatum, Carl Anthony Towns, and Fred Van Vliet. Now, that is a pretty stacked lineup, period. Uh, you know, obviously including the all-star starters outside of one person, uh, Andrew Wiggins. But when you really look at this, this group, you can't say that nobody deserves to be here. Again, we've made the point that Wiggins may not be a starter. But when you really look at this again, Kyle, I'm only saying that this got closer because I actually pulled up some numbers. Um, there are some players that are really close in comparison to the person that we're going to both agree upon. So, Kyle and I were going to make the point of all star snubs you know, who did we believe was going to be an all star snub? And I know that you actually had a question proposed to that, but I don't think that that is going to apply when I actually give you the numbers. So, when you look at it, right, we said. Kyle and I, again, I'm speaking for the two of us. I normally never do this, but since we were on the exact same page, just work with me for a second. We said the questionable people on this, Fred Van Fleet, and of course, Andrew Wiggins. Everybody else on this list, for the most part, you can make an argument pro or nay. Everybody knows that Darius Garland has been having an absolutely exponential season in Cleveland. He he deserves it, yes. Exactly. But the other two players are the ones that we're kind of going back and forth for. Now, the player that we were going to say that we believe should have been in the All-Star Game is who, Kyle?
0: That would be LaMelo Ball.
1: Now, LaMelo is showtime. LaMelo is exciting. He's long. He can shoot. He's got the flashy passes. The Charlotte announcers love him. Kyle and I were actually imitating them earlier today. It was hysterical. You should see us sometime if we made sound bites of it. It'd be hysterical. Um, But what we're trying to get at is um, Fred Van Fleet, Darius Garland, and LaMelo Ball all have almost identical stats. And Fred actually leads all three of them in scoring. But Darius and LaMelo have identical numbers outside of rebounds. And I mean like almost literally identical. LaMelo is at 19.9. Darius is at 19.8. Darius's field goal percentage is 46.7. LaMelo's is lower. This is where it starts to differ. Is at 42.6. And it literally goes tit for tat, just like that, back and forth. Pretty much the entire stat line outside of assists where Darius leads by a whole whole assist. And then rebounding once again, LaMelo's at like seven. And I think Darius is at just over three. Efficiency-wise, they're right here, neck and neck. The difference is Cavs are winning. And that's why... You know Darius is there, and then you look at Freddie Van Fleet. His numbers technically are better. Freddie's got more points. Freddie's got a better percentage from the three-point line. Freddie's stealing the ball more. Aside from field goal percentage and rebounds, once again, Fred Van Fleet is playing better than Lamelo Ball in most statistical categories. The only thing I'll say is he's not a flashy All-Star. Fred Van Fleet is not an emotional player like Lamelo is. Not, not characteristic or charismatic, whatever the word you want to use. So, I mean, Kyle, I'm just going to ask, based off of what I've told you. I guess I'm flipping the script because you normally ask me the questions. With the information that I've told you, is Lamelo truly still a snub, even though the two point guards put in front of him, both in the Eastern Conference, are technically playing better than him?
0: I mean it's definitely a a tougher pick just because when you look at guys like Darius Garland and Lamelo ball, I mean, a lot of these guys have very similar stat lines. And and I think when it comes to who do you factor or what do you factor uh, when it goes to making these rosters, I think a part of it, despite whatever the individual uh, performances that each player has, there's always going to be, how is the team performing overall? Alongside those players on that team. Now, when you look at Darius Garland, for example, with Cleveland, I think the reason why the Darius Garland got in is because look at the Cleveland Cavaliers. Was anybody realistically expecting that the Cavs would be a top five seed in the Eastern Conference? I mean, they have a higher seed than the Brooklyn Nets and the Nets have guys like freaking James Harding, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And despite that, the Cavs are sitting ten games over five hundred, and they've been pretty much one of the more surprising teams of the entire league this year. So I mean, Darius Garland, I, the way that I see it, the way that he's been playing, he deserves to be in the All Star game. And I think when it comes to guys like even like Fred VanVleet, comparing it to Lamella Ball, it's kind of a similar situation. Because when you look at the Hornets and the Raptors as far as their standings go, they're pretty much identical. I think, I believe they're tied for seventh place in the Eastern Conference. So you, you kind of tie that in. I, and granted, I don't think a lot of people were expecting the Raptors to be this high flying uh, team in the Eastern Conference, a team that could possibly. Uh, get to an Eastern Conference uh, Finals appearance or possibly even NBA Finals appearance. But really, Fred Van Fleet, or as I like to call Drake's cousin every now and then, he's been consistent. E- ever since Toronto won that Finals back when Kawhi was on that team, he has really kind of just established himself as one of the more consistent players that Toronto has had. And even though that I believe that Lamello should have gotten in as far as, I think he was probably the one guy that probably got snubbed, Um, from making a reserve list. You know, Fred VanVleet, he has definitely played well. And, you know, I'm happy that he was able to get a uh, roster spot for this all-star game uh, that's going to take place in Cleveland. It's just that when I look at LaMelo, there definitely is more of that flash element that LaMelo possesses. I mean, when you have guys that you could throw it up to, like Miles Bridges, I mean, you're talking about just instant highlight real plays. Uh, LaMelo is definitely capable of doing those types of things. And I do think that LaMelo despite the fact that he got a lot of a lot of press coverage coming into the league, I think he's actually lived up to all of the hype that's surrounded him and I think he's been phenomenal through his first two years in the league. Granted he's not like top tier uh he's not at a top tier level yet. But he's had a phenomenal start for Charlotte and Charlotte is in a pretty good situation to make the playoffs this year. So, you know, I'm going to stick with my original pick as far as LaMelo being a snub, but you know, it it, it gets tricky when you really kind of dive into the, the numbers themselves. And then you factor in the team success along with that. I can understand why guys like Darius Garland and Fred Van Fleet got in there, but that flash element that LaMelo possesses, I think that's something that the All-Star game is going to miss this year. And there may be a chance that he still gets in. You know, you know, you pray that none of these guys that are going to the All-Star game get hurt before that game takes place. But, you know, LaMelo could still get in on a, a replacement pick. But I do think that the yeah, All-Star game is going to miss a little bit of flash if LaMelo wasn't there. And that's just how I see it.
1: No, that's what's missing with this all-star game right we haven't really seen a, a go at it back and forth flashy showcase for years you know obviously the all-star game is nowhere near what it used to be is like what i'm talking about is probably that the year where you were still allowed to wear your team jerseys you know while playing so the kobe and kg the kobe and michael like you know what i'm saying like
0: those are the, early, games the were, early
1: 2000s the early 90s the early 2000s and again the late 90s it's just it's not the same anymore and when you really look at LaMelo Ball he gives you those vibes of throwing it off the glass someone that's gonna drive by pull it in your face and you know I'm saying if he makes it it's dope as hell but again you really want that pizzazz kind of feeling it's an all-star game for god's sakes you you really want to have that oh my god this is some of the greatest basketball I've ever seen in my life you have the best players in the world voted by us And other, like you know, other NBA executives and players, you should definitely have the greatest basketball game. But they don't play defense until the literal end of the game, and then they change the rules and all these things. So I'm not going to go and give my full opinion on what the All Star game is. But when you think of All Star, you definitely think of Lamelo Ball in there. But you know, when you think about it and actually pull the numbers up like I did, it's actually a lot more close of a race than we had initially anticipated. So I'm excited for it. But you know, the the actual what are we talking about? All Star Weekend crap. That's going to end up being garbage. We haven't had a good one of those in a while.
0: Yeah, I mean the last one that we had that I thought was actually pretty good was Zach Levine. Yeah, that was the one in Toronto. Uh, that that remember that um that that dunk contest? Um, oh my god, was
1: Aaron Gordon?
0: A- yeah, it was the I Zach was
1: the, robbed. Oh no, Aaron Gordon. No, was
0: Aaron, I thought Aaron Gordon was robbed. That one where he jumped over the mascot. Bro, that was, yeah, and literally he was, like, smirking at the rim before he dunked it. Like, that was one of the best dunk contests I've ever seen. Yeah,
1: especially coming from our generation, especially, like, our growing up period. That
0: that was up up there, like, with Vince Carter back in the day. Even the one, um, I remember some of the Dwight Howard ones uh, that he was in, kind of, like, in, like, the late 2000s. Those ones were pretty good as well. Uh, I'll never forget the one where... uh, what was it? Um who was the little guy that that dunked over? Nate him? Robinson. Nate Robinson. I knew it was Robinson. I forgot his first name. Um I, I, the thing that I liked about Nate, though, was I remember I think he was playing with the Knicks at the time. And yeah. he had like kind of like that whole like uh that green jersey, kind of like that, that type of he had uh, the St. Patrick's Day outfit. Bro, I just thought like that that whole fit that he wore for that dunk contest. I just thought it was on point and bro, you know, the kicks are always gonna be nice, but
1: yeah, um, foams on I think.
0: I think he had the Paranorman foams on, I think, if I remember correctly. I Fire. hey bro, I still know my stuff. I I trust trust me, I've been out of the shoe game for a while, but I but I know my foams when I see them. So Jeez. I learned a couple of things here and there. But yeah, I mean as far as the the all star uh festivities go, you know, watching the All Star game will be cool. Hopefully the dunk contest is decent. I granted you know, a lot of these guys are pretty young. And if you're like, just like somebody who watches basketball every now and then you're not going to know any of these guys. Did you hear the contestants though? I saw the, uh, the list on Twitter. I know, um, Cole Anthony, my
1: dog, don't get me wrong. That yeah, man I think uh, I'll topping
0: Tos- one, uh, Toscano Anderson of golden States in it. And I forget the fourth one. There was one. It's topping. I thought we only listed three. This, oh, this shit, fourth, there is, there's
1: there. supposed to be a fourth one, yeah. Um, but I don't. But, did they announce the fourth yet?
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I, I saw the tweet from Shams the other day, um, but I know those three Jaylen are definitely. Green, right. the rookie. Oh, from Houston. Yeah. I mean, listen, yeah. you know I I know there's not a lot of household names in these stunt contests anymore, but we'll see what these guys got. Because as far as I'm concerned, as long as these guys can hoop. And these guys can dunk. It's really all that I'm really kind of looking for anyway. But but that list, bro, it's it's kind of weak.
1: Yeah, kind of I'll weak. be pulling for Cole Anderson the entire time. Or Cole Wow, did I just for Cole Anthony? What is wrong with me? I was literally thinking of Toscano Anderson and I mixed Cole Anthony with that. But yeah, I'll be going no, for I the UNC boy.
0: I get it though. But you know, overall, you know, we'll keep an eye on the uh all star festivities when they come up. I believe they're playing in, in Cleveland this year, so Yep. So, We'll see how that whole thing turns out, but Kevin, I think we've pretty much knocked out what we needed to knock out, my guy. I don't know about you. Yeah, but that I, wraps it up. Yeah, that's how I kind of see it. Actually, Guess something to mention. Guess something to mention.
1: What's we forgot. Doug Peterson just got hired as the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Literally, just as we started recording, so Kyle and I didn't actually get to. Incorporate that into our agenda because it legitimately happened as Kyle hit record. But it seems like there has been a head coaching hire in a place in which we thought was going to go to Byron Leftwich. A Brian Leftwich is it? Byron Leftwich? Byron. Byron. Yeah, it is. It is Byron Leftwich, which was the former quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars quite some time ago. Now I'm not going to go down the route that everybody thinks I'm going to with everything going on with Brian Flores. What I'm going to go down is. Doug Peterson stepped away from football last year. Doug Peterson is a, a, is a Super Bowl-caliber head coach. He led the Eagles to the 2017 magic that they did over the Patriots. So with everything that happened with Urban Meyer and everything that happened with Philadelphia as, or, or as um, Doug left, do you think that Doug Peterson is a good fit for Jacksonville and with the young quarterback that is Trevor Lawrence?
0: A good fit. I can't really say yet, is is he a better coach than what Urban Meyer was? A hundred miles, like it's not even close. He's a hundred percent better than what Urban Meyer was. And I, Kevin, we were talking about this uh, before we started recording. We were talking about Urban Meyer's tenure in Jacksonville. And granted, I, I don't know what happened behind the scenes with him. It just seemed like he was in over his head. And the way that I see it, as soon as he got a taste of just the operations that go into being a head coach with the NFL, he was like deuces. I'm out. Like I'm not even going to make it a full season. And you know, Jacksonville suffered as a whole. I mean, Jacksonville has been pretty much on a death spiral the last couple years. years. Uh, they've really never been the same after they had that one year where they made it to the AFC championship game. and lost it the New England Patriots back in 2017. Now, When it comes to Doug Peterson, you are bringing a Super Bowl caliber coach into the fold. And despite the fact that Doug Peterson lost his starting quarterback in that Super Bowl year, he was still able to get great production from that backup quarterback they had in Nick Foles and lead them to a Super Bowl run. Now, going into the situation in Jacksonville, Jacksonville is just a tough team to watch sometimes. I mean... They were three and 14 last year. They've been consistently one of the worst teams in the NFL for the last couple years outside of maybe some decent years here and there. They just haven't been that good of a franchise. So to me, when you bring in a guy like Doug Peterson, I really don't think it's going to get any worse to me. It has to go up because I don't see this team going like two and 15 next year and getting a number one or a number two pick again. I do see Jacksonville, starting to make somewhat of a turn towards some sort of relevancy. I'm not saying that they're going to go all the way to winning an AFC South division title. They're nowhere near that yet. But the one thing that will be interesting to see with Doug is that chemistry that he's going to be able to build with Trevor Lawrence. Trevor did not have that good of a year in his rookie season, turned the ball over quite frequently throughout his first year. So I think Doug's main focus with him is to try to simplify the game for Trevor a little bit, try to focus on limiting the amount of turnovers that the offense and Trevor have in each game moving forward. And, you know, just try to build up the defense a little bit more. The defense is probably the stronger unit compared to the offense. So, you know, you try to find some strides. Uh, you try to find some guys that you can build that defense around and just try to make the most of it. Like I said, I don't see Jacksonville you know, going from three and fourteen to, you know, ten and seven or eleven and six and being at the top of the AFC South. That's not going to happen. But I think a realistic expectation with Doug Peterson being the coach is I think that he could lead them to like a six and eleven at best seven and ten record. I don't really see anything more than that. If if it happens to be that way, then I think they're overachieving as far as I'm concerned. But Doug Peterson is going to have his work cut out for him. This is not an easy situation to go into. I do not envy this man in any way, shape or form. So he's got a lot of work to do and uh, hopefully for him and the organization's sake, uh, they're able to make some sort of turn to relevancy once again.
1: Yeah. He's, he's definitely inheriting a bag of shit. Let's just be frank. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of things and moving pieces in there with one consistently, one consistency, that's Trevor Lawrence, number one pick from last year's draft. We all know he's one of the most successful collegiate quarterbacks and one of the best college quarterbacks, quite frankly, we've ever seen in, in, in quite some time. So when you have a piece like that, that automatically makes the job a little bit more appealable because we know that – a little bit more appealing, excuse me. We know that Urban Meyer messed up and how he coached that entire team and how he coached Trevor was a wash. So basically you are getting a blank slate of trevor lawrence and he's gonna have a little bit of experience of what not to do because let's be frank everything they did last year they gotta scrap it because they got a whole new coaching staff coming in and obviously trevor lawrence is gonna be in year two let's just hope he doesn't make the same mistakes well and by let's hope by you know for me as a Colts fan and division rival hope he still sucks but anyway you know from a football standpoint Doug Peterson brings that veteran know-how. He brings that experience, that Super Bowl-caliber coaching staff that he's going to assemble with him. You just have to hope that what happened in Philadelphia isn't repeated, and you have to hope that it doesn't carry suit into Jacksonville. Jacksonville's had enough drama. Jacksonville's had enough nonsense and bad personnel, and now a coaching staff hiring that just fell apart over the last decade or so. Again, like Kyle had stated, outside of one or two, maybe three years where they were somewhat relevant, so, I'm just looking at this and I'm saying I agree with Kyle. It can't get any worse. I think it's going to get significantly better only because I believe that Trevor is going to learn very well from Doug Peterson being a former quarterback himself and coming from a winning culture that is Philadelphia, especially back then when they won the Super Bowl a few years back. So, we'll see what happens. Hopefully, he can bring some life back to this team. Um, they do have a couple of good, talented players on this roster. So, let's just hope that none of that is wasted in Trevor's prime. But overall, I think it was a smart I think it was a smart hire. No disrespect to Byron Leftwich, but got to go with experience in this case. They've taken too many gambles, especially last year being the gamble of Urban Meyer. So, we'll just have to see what happens and see how it plays out, but definitely a good hire in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I I think it's simply just because of really the championship pedigree uh, that Doug Peterson possesses. Now, granted, we vividly remember how it ended in Philly, yeah. it, did not, it did not end very well for Doug. But it, this situation for Doug is not going to be an easy one, dude. I mean, at least Philly had some good pieces in place during his tenure. This one? Bro, there are some times where Jacksonville literally feels like they're playing like a college team. Like, it, it's just... The roster is just... I, I don't want to say it, it's, like, god-awful. But you no. could just you could just tell that just you know it's either just the, the players just aren't that good or it's just the the coaching behind it is just atrocious. I think and, it's and, coaching. I mean, they have I mean, they have some
1: good players on both sides of the ball. It, they have some it, solid players.
0: Because to me, the way that I see it is, you you have to have a a solid level of coaching to be able to perform. Without that, you're going to go nowhere, despite how good some of these players can be. Now, yeah. Doug. I think is an immediate upgrade, upgrade to what they had. You know, I mean, you want to talk about going from, like, basically like a clunker car to, like, I don't know. What would you, like, consider, like, Doug Peterson as, like, a car?
1: Corolla. Uh, I safe. was going to
0: literally say Corolla, bro. I was literally going to say that. But, it's I mean, not, it's an not a, It's
1: not like a sport or anything, but, you know, he's a solid Corolla. Get you from yeah. A to B.
0: Yeah, it's not like Belichick, like, rolling around in a Maybach or anything like that. But it's like, you know, the, Doug is going to do, I think, Better than what Urban did this year. It's not even close. I mean, Urban couldn't even make it the full season. You know, but I think, I think Doug, if he's able to build a decent coaching staff around himself and just try to invest in that team as much as possible. And really, the one thing that he can do is invest in their youth because they have a lot of young players on that roster to build around. And really, you know, if the players are able to relate to him, they're able to build, you know, a pretty good working chemistry together. I, I think it could work out in the long run. I just don't think that this year it's going to bear much fruit. I think it'll bear more fruit than what it did last year, but it's going to be an uphill challenge for Doug this year. He is not walking into an easy situation. So No, it, not at all. And I imagine that that was probably a point of emphasis in the interview process. It's like, hey, you're taking advantage of us. You know, you're going into a situation where, let's face it, Team sucks, but I don't think can, I don't think it's going to get any worse. And hopefully for them, it works out in the long run because the the Jaguars have been pretty bad for the last decade or so. And um, you know, hopefully, Doug can you know find a path for these guys. I, hopefully, I hope it works so. Out. But um, it's gonna wrap it I, up though. Yeah, I, I don't think there's really anything less for us to hit. Um, you know, once again. Uh, just thank you guys uh, for supporting the podcast in the way that you have. Uh, whether it's listening to us on the audio platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching us on YouTube, watching some of our segments, watching some of our full length episodes, uh, we definitely appreciate you guys. Um, going into next week, just to kind of give you guys a quick preview of what it's going to be um, Super Bowl is upcoming. We got Super Bowl 56 against the Bengals and the Rams. We'll dive into that matchup a little bit more. We had the Rams take on why we think that they could win Super Bowl 56. We'll have the segment for the Bengals on Monday. And then pretty much we'll just try to ramp it up as much as we can before we make our predictions um, on the Friday episode for next week. But um, we're really going to start making a hard pivot to the NBA uh, once the Super Bowl wraps up. Granted, we'll talk a little bit like free agency in the NFL uh, here and there, but it's going to be predominantly NBA content coming forward for you guys. So definitely be aware of that. And, um, that's all I got from here, Kev. Uh, you could take it away from here.
1: Guys, as Kyle already alluded to taking the words right out of my mouth, we appreciate every ounce of support from every angle in which you guys can. And, uh, you know, we look forward to, to talking about, I guess maybe, maybe the pro bowl. Okay. I, I can't even say that with a straight face. Nobody really gives you shit. <laughs>
0: So if we, only with, talk about uh, the Pro, if we only talk about the Pro Bowl, it'll be like how bad it was. That's pretty, pretty much what it's going to yeah. be.
1: So, you know, I, I don't even know why I brought it up. But, you know, obviously we'll be looking into some further topics about the Super Bowl, as Kyle alluded to. And, uh, you know, just looking forward to getting some more content out there for you guys. Last couple of videos have really done well. So just trying to mirror the success that we've had lately. And uh, we're just going to continue to do what we do best. And that's bringing you guys whatever we can in terms of sports content and only the way that we know how. So, guys, we will see you guys soon, and uh, you guys have a great, safe weekend.
0: Deuces. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B., and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is
1: Aussie underscore Sarah underscore La. I talk about amazing, relevant
0: conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back Podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us, from renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Natureback podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed.